Welcome to Chase Oaks, wherever you are watching from. I am so glad that you are tuning in. We are continuing a series called Resolve, how we are dealing with relationship hurt. If you missed last week, I encourage you to go back and check out Jeff's message. It is fantastic, and it is a tough subject to talk about because we're talking about a lot of the deep-seated pain that we can often experience from relationships. Now, here's what I've discovered about resolving conflict in relationships. It's not that complicated with people we don't really like. For example, you've got people that might cut you off in traffic. You don't have to really resolve that conflict, okay? They may throw some uh, sign language your way, and that's just life, okay? But, but you don't have to resolve that conflict that day. There are people that maybe you work with, like you just don't like each other, okay? You don't like them, they don't like you, and it just is what it is. You might have an annoying neighbor, you might have an annoying classmate, and you can live with that conflict not being resolved. But the conflict that might keep you up at night, it certainly does for me, is when the conflict is with people we love. It's really hard when you've got conflict that is unresolved with someone you're sleeping next to. It is really, really hard to deal with conflict with somebody that you're parenting or that's your parent. I actually did uh, some research on this. I had 1,500 people participate in a survey on social media, and 80% of them, 80% said that they were distant between somebody that they love over the last 365 days just because of politics alone. Just because of politics alone. That they've said, hey, there's somebody in my family that I went, we got into some sort of argument that made us go, nope, we, we're not even, election's over, but is our relationship over as well? I mean, that's the position that we can really find ourselves in in this world. And, and we've been looking to scripture to say, you know what, is there, is there anybody here who has dealt with conflict on a level like this that has had some deep, deep hurt? And if you have ever been hesitant to say, you know what, I'm just not a church person. I'm not really a Bible person. And, 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 and it's, it's not relatable to my life. Trust me. If you read the Bible, you will find your scenario in some way, shape, or form. Because when we look at the family of David, let me tell you something. Your Thanksgiving dinner table ain't got nothing on David's table, okay? Trust me. And we started the story uh, last week, and, and it's, it's a brutal one. David finds himself in this position where he's got a couple of baby mamas. Okay, so if you got some baby mama drama and you're watching this weekend, you got company in the Bible. Okay, so he's got a couple of wives. He's got multiple children and they don't always get along. And there's some evil that he's having to navigate in the middle of his family. One of his sons violates one of his daughters and one of his other sons decides to take action because David had inaction. So Absalom ends up killing his half brother. And as a result of that, the scripture tells us Absalom had fled. He committed murder trying to defend his sister because his dad did nothing. And the scripture says Absalom fled and went to Talmai, son of Amahud, the king of Geshur. But King David mourned many days for his son. 
After Absalom fled and went to Geshur, he stayed there for three years. And King David longed to go to Absalom. This weekend, I want us to zoom in on that. Three years. Three years of sweeping something under the rug. How long are we going to go on continuing to just sweep things under the rug? Have you ever gotten in an argument and they brought up something from three years ago and you're like, you could have brought that up a long time ago. But that's what we do. Often with conflict is we have many conversations with ourselves and we just hold it in. Three years goes by. And, and again, I know David gets a bad rap, but he longed to do something, but he didn't. He didn't do anything for, for he was consoled concerning Amnon's death. So he's dealing with one son's death and another son's murder. And he just finds himself pretty stuck. And then Joab, son of Zariah, knew that the king's heart longed for Absalom. Joab is basically uh, a brother-in-law-ish to, to David. So he, he's sort of the uncle in this story. So Joab sent someone to Tekoya and had a wise woman brought from there. He said to her, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pretend you're in mourning, dress in mourning clothes, and don't use any cosmetic lotions. Act like a woman who has spent many days grieving for the dead. So Joab is sort of setting a trap for David because David is, is a sucker for helping people. Okay, so he's like, hey, I want you to pretend like you're distraught and he, he's going to help you. I want you to give a scenario that will make David give you some advice on this scenario. And once he does, she flips the script on him. She goes, okay, if you would help me in this situation, that it was very similar to David's. She's going, then why wouldn't you copy and paste that into your own situation? And he says, the woman said, why then have you devised a thing like this against the people of God? When the king says this, does he not convict himself? She's going, hey, David, you've got some great advice, except you're not using it for yourself. Are you not convicted by your own words? For the king has not brought back his banished son. Like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But that is not what God desires. That is not what God desires. Rather, he devises a way so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. Ladies and gentlemen, we are seeing the gospel in the Old Testament. Because now we're seeing God's heart for our relationships. We're seeing God's desire for our relationships. And when you and I are trying to manage conflict, when you and I are trying to resolve things, we are typically filled with what we desire. And isn't most of our conflict come as a result of a collision between their desires and our desires? And so I, I think it's, it's, it's very important for us to pause this weekend when we're thinking about people that we need to resolve some conflict with and say, what does God desire for our relationships? And I know some of us may have done some canceling. Some of us may have done some Heismaning. Some of us may have said, okay, I'm going to push this person away and that's where they need to stay. But can I ask you, is that what God desires? Is that what God desires? You, you might be sleeping in the guest room this weekend. 
And, and I get it. There might be some distance between you and them. I get it. But at some point, we've got to ask this question. What does God desire for our relationships? And I love how the story continues. It says, the king said to Joab, very well, I will do it. Go bring back the young man Absalom. Then Joab went to Geshur, brought back Absalom to Jerusalem. Watch this. But the king said, he must go to his own house. He must not see my face. So Absalom went to his own house and did not see the face of the king. Literally, David says, you can come back to the neighborhood, but I don't want you to see my face. Come back to my kingdom. But we're not going to have relationship. So the uh, GPS locations have gotten closer, but they've still not resolved any conflict. And and this is what's so very interesting that Samuel penned. I find it very interesting. And, And you don't see this a whole lot in Scripture. It says, in all Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. Have any of you ever seen a man like this? Like all the single ladies are like, where is he at? Okay, you know, like, like this is, this is a very interesting statement. I think the writer wants us to know that this could serve as a reason for David's internal conflict of going, this is a person that isn't just good looking, This is a person that is highly praised in all of history. Pick any king, pick any ruler. Every single one of them has a kryptonite. And their kryptonite is this. Whenever somebody else is highly praised. And and he's got no blemish in him. His son, no, no blemish. And... Three sons and a daughter were born to Absalom. This guy is, is moved back into the neighborhood. He started a whole life, a whole family. His daughter's name were Tamar, and she became a beautiful woman. Absalom lived two years in Jerusalem without seeing the king's face. Three years. Now two. Five years, ladies and gentlemen, of sweeping things. Under the rug. And as much as I want to point the finger at David, I know people that have gone decades not speaking to their siblings. I know people that have gone decades not speaking to their children. And I think it's vitally important that we understand that David had a dilemma. Because I'm asking myself, David, why aren't you doing anything? David, why aren't you doing it? And I think there's three options. One, he didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to do. Maybe that's you this weekend. You have a desire to close the gap. You just don't know how. I used to be, I used to judge David until I became a parent. And I went, it's harder than it looks. Maybe he just didn't know what to do. You ever have that? Have you ever just had a situation? You just, you just, 
You just didn't know what to do, but we all have this pressure that we put on each other to always look like we should know what to do when most of the time we don't. The second option is one could argue. This is all your fault. And maybe David just didn't want to own it. I mean, if, if you look at all of his children, all, all of their proclivities, all of their internal challenges could be stemmed back to the actions of their father. Because it can be easy to look at Amnon, who violated his sister, who has a sexual addiction issue. And we could easily go, I can't believe you do that to your sister. To which he could look back at his dad and go, I can't believe you stole mom from somebody else. And made her marry you. Are you serious? I mean, for David, he's going, I don't know how to resolve this conflict and really deal with my children because I'm not really sure that I've dealt with me. So the conflict is internal and external for David. And then I can see is he's maybe nervous about the outcome. Isn't that us? We don't want to have the conversation because we just don't know how it's going to turn out. I mean, we've played the conversation in our minds and we have great assumptions about what they're going to say. Have you ever fought with your spouse in your mind without saying a word to, to, to the other person? I, I've had a three hour fight with my wife and didn't say a word and I was asleep the whole time. I was just in my bed. I'm like, I can't believe you. What you say? What you, I can't believe you would say stuff. I was like, like, Ryan, she's not even here. What are you doing? But you're just imagining what they will say and how, how they'll say it. <laughs> I think David's very interesting. I, the, the more I study his life, the more I think he's such a relatable character to all of us. Because you're talking about somebody who, if we say, hey, David. Can you slay a giant for us? No problem. Give me a little rock. I got us. Hey, David, can you um, write a Grammy award winning song? Literally, if, if David could get songwriting credit, the man would have so many Grammys. He'd have too many to count. So we've, we've got a, a Grammy award winning artist, a, a, a giant slayer. I mean, he's considered one of the greatest kings in all of Israel's history because of his ability to defend Jerusalem. So th this is this is a hero. So if we ask him to go to work, he's like, I'm game. Let's go. But if we ask him to have a tough conversation with his kids, he's like, uh, I don't know what to do. Have you ever found it easier to go to work than stay at home? Have you ever found it easier to put in a 12-hour shift than to have a five-minute tough conversation? They both take work, but you kind of know the outcome of the 12-hour day. Some of us are better at making money than we are at our relationships. Because we can go on autopilot. We can dive into email. We can blame it on our career. And, and the more and more I look at David's life and look at David's family, I'm going, this is America. This is us going, you know, let's just dive into school. Let's just dive into the gym or I'm going to get into this diet and let's just 
keep sweeping things under the rug. And all the while, while we've got this unresolved conflict, people are awarding us and liking our posts. But we haven't done the hard work. Oh, I wish I could sit with Joab, Absalom and David. I wish we could get dinner. I wish we could get coffee. Because what I would love to do is I'd love to sit with them and go, hey, here's some things that I think that we need to talk about if we're going to resolve some things. The scripture says, then Absalom sent for Joab in order to send him to the king. But Joab refused to come to him. So he sent the second time, but he refused to come. Joab is playing middleman. He's like, I'm sick of both of y'all. OK, don't call me. I am done. OK. And, and then he said to his servants, look. Joab's field is next to mine and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. Like I said, you thought your family was jacked up. You ain't got nothing on the Davidsons. Okay. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab did go to Absalom's house and he said to him, hey man, why have your servants set my field on fire? Absalom said to Joab, you don't have a cell phone. I couldn't send a text message. No, I'm just kidding. It says, look. I sent word to you and said, come here so I can send you to the king to ask, why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me if I were still there. Now then, I want to see the king's face. And then if I am guilty of anything, let him put me to death. So Joab went to the king and told him this. Then The king summoned Absalom and he came in and bowed down with his face to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. We finally get a glimpse of some sort of reconciliation between a father and a son. And there are three men in this story. An uncle, a dad, and a son. One's a middleman. Some of us don't have great conflict in our life with someone very specific. Some of us are just in the middle. Some of us are a middle sibling. And we're the, we're, the, we're the favorite in the family. And so sometimes we end up playing middleman. If I could sit with all three of them, I would say the first thing that everybody at this table has to do. They've got to own something. Own it. Own it. And, and really, I think this, what we really have to consider, if we're sitting at the table, is re- all of us have to play our part. That's what I would tell them. I'd say play your part. I, I, I love what Romans 12, verse 18 says. It says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. Chase Oaks, what I have to implore us this weekend to do is not to be so concerned about what the other person is going to do or to be overly consumed with their part. I think the prayer that you and I have to be praying this weekend is, Lord, what depends on me for peace in this relationship? If I can encourage each and every one of us to do something this weekend... I think we should be quick to take the blame and give credit and be slow to point the finger and take credit because we're really tempted to do this, right? I mean, we're really tempted 
take credit and point the finger. I mean, have you ever been doing dishes and thought to yourself, they never do the dishes? Have you ever been folding laundry and thought, they never fold? Have you ever been changing a diaper and thought, they never change the diaper? And it's interesting. We're constantly telling ourselves stories about the person that we've got conflict with. And what often happens is we can be crystal clear on what they did wrong and very fuzzy on what we've done wrong. And and there's this phrase I've been using as of late, um, and and it's this. I own that. I own that. You know, uh, a couple days ago, my wife said, hey, did, did, did uh, did we get some mail from CBS? And I was like, yeah, I threw it away. You know, junk mail. You know, we always get this stuff in the mail, you know, just, just junk mail. She goes, it wasn't junk mail. I told you that we needed the medical records for our kids to, you know, pass to the doctor and so on and so forth. I said, can you prove to me that you told me that? Because I don't have any records. On, my records aren't showing that you, you said that. I said, I remember you asking me how to get, log into it, but I don't ever remember you saying that you needed that, that it was specifically for CVS or anything. She goes, no, I told you that. And I said, well, I'm sorry for throwing away your mail. I'll own that. And she just stood silent. And I went, that wasn't good enough. You, gotta, that, you, 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 you missed it. You missed it. I said, so let me rewind the tape to see where I could have. I said, I, I'm sorry that I didn't listen to you appropriately when you told me that you needed this mail. She goes, there it is. And I said, I'll own that. I'll own that. But ladies and gentlemen, it, it, here, here's what we have to be aware of. Bitterness often turns us into heroes and them into villains. When either is rarely true. I mean, in, in, in our story, when it, whenever we tell the story, it's like, you look really good right now. And they sound really bad. But the truth is this. They're not that bad. And we're not that good. And so at some point... We've got to come to the table. David, Absalom, Joe, we've all got to just go, man, what, what's really our part to really own? What's your part to own? Because I, I know how to do this to be able to just look in the mirror and go, okay, what's, what's my part? Ladies and gentlemen, that's all you can control anyways. Some of us are deeply frustrated. Because we can't control the other person. There's a reason you can't. That's good for you. Which leads me to the second thing that I would tell David, Joab, and Absalom. And what I want to encourage us with this weekend. And this is key if we're going to resolve any sort of conflict in our life with somebody that we love. It's humility. You cannot do it without this. It's impossible. I love what Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Do you want to know what the guiding question is in most of our relationships? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Marriage? What's in it for me? Job? What, what's, what's in it for me? And so when we look at that scripture, do nothing out of selfish Ambition, but value others above 
ourselves. I think that's the only way we can resolve conflict. Hey, David. I need you to not be thinking about your kingdom right now. I need you to lay that down for a minute to just be a dad. Because most of us are so in love with being right that it's actually ruining our relationships. Let me tell you the phrase that will ruin every single one of our relationships. I told you so. I told you so. We just we love being right. Okay. We love being right about stuff that it's like 50-50 chances. Like, it's funny. Um, friends will be pregnant and, and one person will go, I think it's, they're going to have a girl. Yep, I guarantee you they're going to have a girl. You guarantee it, huh? Okay, that's interesting. And another person, nope, they're going to have a boy. They already had a girl. Yep, they're going to have a boy. And then they have a girl. And they're like, I told you so. I'm like, so 50, 50. Was that necessary? We needed it and I told you so there? And, and I just, we, we have this right and wrong thing that I think is actually ruining our relationships because I, I have, I've been asking this question lately. What do we win for being right? What do you win? You certainly don't win relationships. I mean, name the last time somebody said, you know what? I just really want to be with somebody who's right. <laughs> name, like, like name a, a group of women who, who have been out to eat and they've been bragging on their husbands and just like, Tom is always right. I love it. Like nobody does that. But we're obsessed with it. It's like, no, they're wrong. So what? It'll make you a better lawyer, but it never makes you a better friend. It doesn't make you a better spouse. It doesn't make you a better colleague. It doesn't make you a better anything but lawyer. That's the only place it's good for you. And so the title of today's message is Let Go Your Ego. Let Go Your Ego. Because it will erode every important relationship you have. Because there's something about, you know what? If I wave the white flag, if I, if I surrender first, I will be saying that they're right. And we can't let that happen. What, what, what's at stake? The only thing at stake... Is that? That's it. If you want to have incredible relationships, use these words as much as you can. I was wrong. And I'm sorry. Can we all say that together just for a minute? Just, just, let's, let's, let's do this one. How about this one? I'm sorry. One, two, three. I'm sorry. Some of us haven't done that all year. It felt, it, you almost threw up when you said it. It was just like, what? I've, I've, I'm like, I'm, you're glad I spelled it for you. Like, it's hard. But it's actually not that hard. And some of us play this game and they're going, you go to someone and you're like, I'm willing to say sorry. But you're saying sorry and it's quid pro quo. There is this string attached. I'll say sorry as long as you Say sorry. As soon as I'm done saying I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they're like, thank you. You're like, oh, no, I ain't got time for that. You done lost your mind. You should be the one apologizing to me. But you've got to do what 
as far as it depends on you. If, if I'm sitting with these three guys, I'm going, hey, David, hey, Absalom, this moment should have happened four and a half years ago. Not five. Hey, David, before you got to this point where you embraced your son, should have happened a long time ago. And the last thing that I would tell these three men and the thing that I would tell us that is so vitally important if we're going to resolve our relationships is we have to have discernment. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very aware that there are some toxic individuals that you cannot be in close proximity to. That does not mean that you can't forgive them from a distance. I love what James chapter 1 verse 5 says. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. I mean, I think some of us are naturally prone to go to Google or go to social media, go to our friends for advice. But I want us to ask this question this weekend. Whose advice do you trust the most? Whose advice do you trust the most? Because a lot of us, I don't know that we trust God's advice more than the person that we call the most. But there is a Heavenly Father who wants to give you an infinite amount of wisdom that is readily available to you if you would just ask. And I love how James described the wisdom of God. He says the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. If you want to take a picture of a verse on how to resolve conflict, this is it. I mean, this is it. It's going, we, we need God's wisdom and discernment. Because I need all, every single one of those for anybody I've got conflict with. Especially impartiality. Removing what I get out of being right or this being resolved. Removing that from the equation long enough for me to go, you know what? I desire peace. And when I've got God's wisdom, I'm open to reason. I realize that sometimes in conflict, there's a phrase that we often use. I just need a minute. And sometimes you do need a minute. I don't know that you need a year, though. I definitely don't think you need a decade. It's just that sometimes the minute that we need, we allow it to turn into much longer than we had anticipated. And I love what Jeff said last week. Some of us believe that time heals all wounds. But I think sometimes time makes us more bitter and it simmers. Sometimes when I'm sitting with people who've had great conflict over a long period of time, I asked him this question. What happened? What happened? I get a couple of different answers. Ironically, sometimes they can't even remember why they're mad. They've been mad so long. I don't even remember. They only know one mode with this person, anger. They're just triggered by it. Can't even remember what they did. It was so long ago. It's just, I just know... 
It's, they're, they're, they're always on, on strike two. And then some people, they're very crystal clear about the part the other person played. They're very fuzzy on their part. So, if I could encourage us this weekend, if I was sitting with the Davidsons, the first thing I would tell them is, own your part. Second thing I would tell them is, let go of your ego. And the third thing I would tell them is, don't we all need God's wisdom that pulls our ego out of the equation, that helps us know timing, that helps us know the right words to say? I have a feeling that this weekend, you're going to need to make a tough phone call, send a tough text message, write a tough email, send a DM. Maybe the words, I'm sorry. Or in that message. I don't know. I don't know the exact words you need to use. But I do know the exact gods you need to go to. To say, Lord, would you give me wisdom to know what to say to resolve this conflict with somebody that I love? Because here's what I know. That you desire for people not to be banished. I know that your, your desire is that we have great relationships. As far as it depends on us. So Lord, let me just play my part in this story. That's my hope. That's my prayer for each and every one of us. God, I thank you so much for Chase Oaks Church. God, I pray for each and every person under the sound of my voice that has a relationship and a conflict that needs to be resolved. And God, I pray that you would give us your wisdom. On what to say and what to do and when to do it and timing. May you help us just play our part as best that we possibly can. And may we remove our ego from the scenario. God, help us to know what to do. And may we have your heart as we navigate conflict and relationships in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.